Hey, y'all. And hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. <laughs> and welcome to Sweet GN TV. As promised, we are back to discuss the final six episodes of The Crown. Before we jump in, I've got something I got wrong last time. I'll get to that in a second. But I also want to start just by being really honest with anyone who's tuning in um, in uh, the year 2024, January 6th, we are at. I'll say it as weird as possible. Um, we, uh, I'd say we had a tough holiday season. Is that fair? It's been hard for each of us in our respective lives separately and somehow at the same time. Yeah. We're both going through it. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I will just speak for myself when I say I always want to keep it. I'm always trying to do two things at once. One is like not necessarily put uh anybody else's business out there unless I know there are people who are okay with it mm-hmm. or like not having any sense of a personal life because I think that's important to keep things some things personal also I'm a woman so there are some things that no one will ever know <laughs> um and then like but also like trying to be as genuine as possible because I think that that's what we wanted to bring was being genuine. So if I'm going to be my most genuine self right now, what I'll say is like my family is going through a really hard time. Um, and, um, I lost my sister-in-law about a week ago and that's just the real truth of what's going on for me. And I think that means that my brain is scattered. I think that means that my heart is broken. And I think that means that it's a little hard as much as I love to sit across the table from you and spend time with you, it's a little hard to act like the sugar breakers, the sugar <laughs> breakers or coverage of the crown on Netflix or whatever is just like number one right now. Yeah. You know? I, we talked about it before we came on the mic that today is an example of going through the motions, not because we don't care about what we're doing here, but because we do have these other things going on in our lives. And, um, it's just really hard to compartmentalize that and keep moving forward so that people who are listening to us can still get back. To, we, you know, we were already on break for the holidays, and so we need to get back in some sort of routine so we can bring the show back. Uh, but it is hard, and it's uh, very challenging to compartmentalize the stuff that's going on in my family from Sugar Bakers and the royal family. So it, fortunately, I did most of my prep before Christmas because I also got to do Christmas with small children while also navigating a complicated family situation, which also was very challenging. Um, so fortunately, I had done most of my prep. So hopefully we can we can cobble something together. Yes, same. Until this morning, I was looking back and I was yeah, like, what, what whatever, are you thinking? Because so, I, I think some of it I did and was like, I'll fix this. I'll, I'll come back to this. And I just didn't. So, But we have a commitment to the show. And I think normal people probably would have just given themselves a break. But you and I are None. never normal. <laughs> <laughs> we're committed and we're going to do the very best we can today. But I appreciate you bringing that up. My situation is something that I don't feel comfortable sharing the specifics of. It's just not my story. My part of the story is needing to be supportive of people that I love and needing to be there for them in a really difficult time and also feeling like the precursor of grief without actually going through the grief. And it's been hard. Yeah. But we'll get there. 100%. So I think that what we're asking for is just a little grace if we stumble, if we mumble, if we mess up. Which also sounds like me on a regular podcast episode. So you're probably I, used to you know this what? Anyway. Sometimes I wonder, like, do we even need the preamble? People are just used to this, Lena. It's just who we are too. Just who we are. <laughs> We're always a little scattered. 
yeah. we're well prepped, but just a little scattered because that's how our brains work. And now I'm Waffle House. <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned, there was one thing I needed to fix that I said that wasn't true when we talked about the part one the first part of season six. And that is that I unintentionally overblew Dominic West's relationship with King Charles. I think I said they were friends because I think I heard they were friends through or read they were friends or something. Uh, no, it turns out that <laughs> they, they didn't both, know each other at all. They have met on several occasions and that's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> so West is an ambassador for the Prince's Trust. Now that's the charity established by King Charles back when he was Prince Charles. This is also a plot point in season five. And West's wife is a landscape gardener and has collaborated with King Charles on a couple of projects. And so they've met through those avenues. But this is just for me to be like, hey, buddies, they're pals. They really know each other. It's not really the same thing. So I just wanted to clear that up. But I think he and Harry might have been friends. Oh, uh, maybe. I, don't I know feel like that this one. is Dominic West me. is the one who plays Charles, right? Mm-hmm. That was the whole Old point Charles. was. You thought older they were, Charles. Older Charles. Her. Yeah, I think there's a news story going around right now that they not like besties, not like spending the weekends together or anything, but they were friendly mm-hmm. until Dominic overshared in a media interview mm-hmm. um, and Harry stepped back from their friendship and they're not as close anymore. Mm-hmm. So next time we cover the crown, I'll come back and maybe edit that. But I'm pretty sure that that part is true. Well, actually, that is a wonderful segue into a little warm up I put uh, together for us to kind of seem so smart at the beginning of December, where I thought I could share some fun facts about the show. We'll see how fun they are. I often think that maybe fun is overblown in those (laughs) as well. We'll see what we'll see what happens. So uh, I ran across some casting what ifs. So Claire Foy, who plays the younger version of Queen Elizabeth in seasons one and two, mm, she favorite. almost wasn't chosen to play the queen okay. because she kept being overlooked in the different auditions. She got to the fourth round before Peter Morgan noticed her. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I wonder who was noticing her to move her along because that person deserves some award or something. Well, it, well, then he was like, who is this? Who is this? Exactly. Where has she been all and my I life? Think they, I think someone was like, we've seen her three times. Oh, gosh. You know, and he was like, what? He all was right. distracted. There was a little ad-libbing in there. I don't know that he turned into <laughs> what, but uh, Felicity Jones huh? um, reportedly auditioned for the role as well. And then Elizabeth Debicki, who plays season five and six Princess Diana, initially auditioned for a much smaller role in season two when they realized they had their princess. Mm. And Paul Bettany was almost cast as season three and four's Prince Philip. Speaking of Prince Harry from a few moments ago, he once approached season one's Prince Philip, Matt Smith, at a polo match and greeted him by saying, Granddad. Bobby. I also do think he may be the one who looked the most like him, like a young version of Philip compared to the other two oh, actors uh-huh. that played him. Yeah. Uh, Claire, <laughs> Claire Foy was originally paid less than Matt Smith. There, It has more to do with the fact that he was already pretty well known when mm. they got into the, or when they got the roles and started the show. Um, and then they, they fixed that season two. And then after that, no one ever made more than the queen again. Henry, <laughs> Henry Herbert. He's the seventh Earl of Carnivon. Carnivon? Sorry, y'all. AKA Porchy, as we know oh. him. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, he appears across several seasons, and he has a very well-known family seat, which is Highclere Castle, which is the backdrop for another high-end British period drama, Downton Abbey. So, (laughs) the show was initially to end with Diana's death. Princess Diana's wedding dress was almost an exact replica. When Emma Corrin, who played Diana in season three, walked out in it, everyone went completely silent. Also, it took a team of ten people to get her in the darn thing. Mm. Can you imagine? Ten people to get you in a dress? It seems like nine too many to be in a room where I'm getting dressed. Yes, I agree. (laughs) And I just can't imagine even the thing where like, you know, you have people who are dressing you like a valet or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how I would be like, I can do it faster. (laughs) But not as neat. Yeah. But I'm just not classy. (laughs) I've thought, I have thought uh, as we've watched this, how inefficient that seems. And then also what an invasion of privacy. So then I thought about non-disclosure agreements that they must have those people sign. And like for the rest of their lives, they can never say what, Queen Elizabeth looked like in her skibbies. I guess not. Interesting. In February of 2022, there was a heist on the set. Over 350 props, about 200,000's worth, were stolen from the show, all while production was shooting nearby, which is another reminder that everyone is terrible. <laughs> Trust no one. She didn't know. Oh, I wonder how they oh, did that. Oh, I didn't that. even think about it being an inside job. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm wondering. Like, how else would they have gotten on set? Yeah, I don't... Hidden hidden a bucket? Maybe. <laughs> they hidden the wedding dress. Behind some fake jewelry? Well, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling super warm. <laughs> Are you ready to get into it? Let's do it. Okay, so Nikki, when you watch these last final six episodes that you and I were able to take part in, to immerse ourselves in, what were your first blush reactions? So the thing I keep thinking about the most, there are two things I keep thinking about the most. One, the whole William and Kate thing. What a total snooze fest. That entire storyline was so boring. Mm -hmm. Just like watching their relationship come together, I didn't feel a whole lot of chemistry and I didn't fully understand what story we were telling there. That was really boring to me. And unfortunately, that was something I was really looking forward to. Uh, That said, I I will say in the first set of episodes, my first reaction to William was like, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Like, he doesn't look like what I remember William looking like. And like, I had a William poster on my wall. By the end, I finally was seeing sort of the dream boat package that I remember when I was his age and it was appropriate. He was a dream boat. And I was seeing it toward the end of this series of episodes. So that was the first thing that I thought about over and over again when we finished this series. I'm going to tack onto that then because it's not, it wasn't my very first, first blush reaction. In general, just none of that worked for me. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Just none of it. And when you watch episode seven, which is Ruritania, I think Queen Elizabeth herself may unintentionally answer why it didn't work for me. Mm. So in that episode, she says, people don't come to a royal palace and get what they could have could mm. have at home. Mm-hmm. When they come for an investiture or a state visit, when they brush up against us, they want the magic and the mystery and the arcane and the eccentric and the symbolic and the transcendent. They want to feel like they've entered another world. 
Will and Kate's story wasn't like entering another world. It wasn't magical or eccentric. It was like something that could happen to us. Super mundane. Yeah, it's just... Which also is kind of what pissed me off about them getting together in the first place. Like, I got stuck at the University of Georgia while they were over there hooking up with a prince. Well, and that's... Right. The only thing that made it slightly different was the fact that he was a prince. Other than that, it's just a standard, like, oh, this is how we met. It's cool. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was... Um, There were pieces of it that I really... And I, this might be in my notes later, but, like, the part where he's at her family's house um, while they're watching the Jubilee, and then he, like, tears down the road to make it to the balcony. I'm sure that wasn't real. I couldn't find whether it was or wasn't. I looked into it. Um, but that was a little bit, like, where they were trying to inject a little bit of something, when the rest of it was so flipping boring. Mm-hmm. Like there were two scenes of them swimming lanes to get swimming laps together in the pool and not saying a word to each other. <laughs> that was so boring. Yeah, I think I actually I had categorized like my reaction to the new cast under I'm calling it the kids are not all right. Oh. So the other thing that I thought of about when I was sort of watching all of these new players and I know they're based on real people but for us there are also these characters that we're building in this very last little bit of time that we have together and so I also had some issue with Harry mm, yeah um so you did too he was really annoying he was the um today's version of Harry projected on that life uh so I read something that was like did um Peter Morgan read Harry's biogra- autobiography and then re like resketch the character out a little bit because I don't know that the public persona of Harry matched what they had in the show mm-hmm. at the time that all of this was happening. Just the actual events, right? We do know that he someone took a picture of him at the party right. with the Nazi symbol on. Yeah. And we do know that he got caught smoking weed like those things were in the news. And so for me, I was like, I don't want to relive his bad PR of the early aughts. And, you know, I also, they just really kind of, to me, I didn't think the show liked him. He was villainized for sure. Uh, All throughout this series of episodes. Yeah. They made him a total tool. Yeah. And then I think the only thing that I think did work for me is that they did slowly see the deteriorated relationship between Harry and Will over the course of the episodes. I didn't notice as much the first time, but I did need to go back and watch a second time. Mm. What are falling asleep in all the Will episodes? Yeah. And so like I came back and watched those and I was like, okay, you can kind of see it. Like they're, they're, they they're planning want to seeds. have this relationship, mm. but there's just, there's too much else going on. Um, and, I don't know. The bottom line for me is there simply wasn't enough to get invested in. We didn't have enough time to care about them the way that we cared about the air and the spare before. Right. You know, they didn't, they didn't do the work. Um, So I think that was just really off for me. What other first blush reactions did you have? I really liked the queen's journey through these last few episodes, this sort of like retrospective of her life um, and thinking back on what she's accomplished, what she hasn't accomplished. I think she was going through like a, what would you call that? Like uh, nine tenths of a life crisis. Like right there at the end, she was going through this thing of like, what well, what did it all mean? What does it all mean? What should I do? I really liked that. I thought that was um, powerful watching it through the lens of now, knowing, I mean, knowing she's dead now, um, knowing where she was in her life, 
knowing what's going to come next. Like it was powerful, but it was also powerful because we've grown with her. Like, I feel like I, I feel like I'm 90 now and I've grown along with the queen since those first episodes. And so she's always struggled a little bit with this machine behind her and this title that she has, but she's never really, I think at one point, one of the episodes, they said like the crown doesn't have existential crisis. And I think she was going through that finally. And I don't think she's ever really allowed herself to do that. So I liked that part of the journey. I agree. And I also, I don't know if you were thinking this while you were watching it as well, but one of the things that we talked about previously is the fact that Peter Morgan stopped everything mm-hmm. and then kind of wrote, changed a couple of things around because Queen Elizabeth passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I can feel that. And I think that was, I think that was good. And I think it helped lend to the feelings that you were able to have in these last episodes and that I had as well. Uh, I also just everything with her Everything that was built around our original players, if you will, were all the strongest episodes for me. Mm-hmm. So, and they yeah. were every other episode six, eight, and 10. Yeah. And then I think one other thing that just I think may have been problematic is so much happened in these last episodes. I mean, like, really nothing happened, but we were covering a lot of ground, right? A lot of years, about six to eight if my count is anywhere near correct. And I'm still processing if they were being efficient. Or if the timeline was too compressed. Mm. And it's tough because it's also starkly different than the first four episodes of the season that only covered a handful of months. And Mm. then we spent one episode where we were covering a number of hours. So in comparison and taking those things together, it starts to have that post-season five Game of Thrones feeling. And what I mean by that is you're slow, deliberate, thoughtful about everything that you do. And then you realize the end's coming and you're fast and you're furious and you got to get there. And I think that made the pacing just feel a little bit like um, whiplash going from those first episodes to the last ones. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know though what the fix to that would be um, because we, we can't spend more time with William. I only had one, I only had one thought and it had to do with what, almost happened with the show and that was ending with Diana's death. Mm. Yeah. Because he was also encroaching a little bit towards that mark that he uses. Um, and I think of the 20 to 25 years, depending on who you read. So I, I was skimming my notes a minute ago to make sure I did write this down. So I'll jump to that note. Cause it's relevant here. You had said that, um, Oh no, don't hold it against me. <laughs> that he didn't want to do anything more recent than that because um, it felt more, uh, I think you said like journalistic versus um, uh, cinematic or like, Narrative I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I felt that with the Will and Kate thing. What we knew about their relationship from the early 2000s was what we knew from paparazzi and from... Um, uh, what do you call those tabloids? That's what we knew. And that's what the show contained with a couple of snippets of things that you're sort of like, Ooh, did that really happen? Well, no, it didn't really happen. Cause no one knows what really happened. Those were the most interesting parts to me where I'm like, Oh my gosh, did they really do this? Or did they really do that? Well, you can't find that anywhere. Cause he made that up. Um, so everything else was these snippets of things you saw in paparazzi photos or whatever. And I can see now why he didn't want to look into it more recently because there would be too much of that. And I think we even saw that happening, like I said, with the Harry stuff. I think we things that have happened with Harry since then colored the portrayal of young Harry. And I don't think we even knew that much about him back then. 
So mm-hmm. it starts to feel voyeuristic or something versus like I'm I'm watching a movie about a royal family or something. I totally agree. Uh, so how about favorite scenes? What stood out for you? I have two. That entire speech that Elizabeth gave at Margaret's birthday party, like every scene with Margaret in that episode, like I just loved all of it. But that speech was just really lovely and warm. I've since read, I don't think it really happened, which makes me really sad because it was such a nice little button on their relationship and their sisterhood. And I loved that. And I also really liked that final scene. I thought it was just cinematically beautiful with the past Elizabeth standing on either side of her as they walked toward the light. It was like it worked on so many levels, like just on the most basic level, you get to be surrounded by these characters that you've seen throughout this whole series. But then if you take it a step further, she's walking toward the light with her past and her future, like her past and herself into her future. It was beautiful. I loved it. I agree. And I think um, that was also a top for me. And the only other thing I thought is like, you know, in addition to that, just being a really cool scene and bringing back two other queens that I really enjoyed spending time with or two versions of her, it's almost like we're all sort of made up of these eras. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily just trying to make a Taylor Swift She reference. did it best. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> move over, Queen Elizabeth. Um, but uh, certainly Taylor's outfits were better. <laughs> um, and I... And I think there's something to that. It really makes you think about these different periods in your life and who you may have been and how you may have changed and or maybe think about it. And you're the sum of all those parts. Absolutely. Taylor Swift actually mentioned that when she gave a speech at a university where she said, like, there there's never a person, I'm not gonna get it all right, but like you're never gonna well, look try back. hard. I know. You're never gonna look back on every phase of your life and not be embarrassed or find something cringy about some piece of it. But the truth is, even that piece of your life made you who you are today. So it's an important it. era to relive. Yeah. And yeah, I think that scene probably made me think a little bit more cerebrally about that. So it's part legacy, it's part present, it's part it's all the things together. Yeah. So I liked that. I agree. So I'm, I'm, there's no secret here for me that you talked about episode eight, which is about Margaret. And that was my favorite episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Beautiful. Really, really well-crafted scenes. And so in addition, I think the ones that you mentioned are like my biggest tear jerkers Mm -hmm. are part of that. Mm -hmm. But I also really like the, I mean, I don't like this happened, but the post-stroke montage Mm -hmm. with her trying to change all these behaviors and go through rehab while still being Princess Margaret, it helped slightly lighten a very heavy heavy episode, but also kind of show, like, this is serious. Mm -hmm. And we kind of see the trajectory and the train that we're on, even if you don't know the more recent history. Um, I loved all of the flashbacks sprinkled throughout that episode. And um, just to your point, I think that not... Oh, sorry, you were talking about the queens all walking together. I'm picturing every cinematic. There were a lot of cinematic scenes in the very end of this. But in that final flashback in the episode where she's walking back with Margaret. Oh. Mm-hmm. Was the most beautiful send-off for her. Mm-hmm. And I just absolutely love that. You could also file that away under the biggest tear-jerking moments yeah. for me as well. That's beautiful. Where Queen Elizabeth learns more about the quirky 
royal jobs in her own. Oh, I just yeah. really love that whole scene because I thought it was pretty masterfully crafted where, you know, we hear the titles and we're like, that's stupid. And then you hear all these people come in and they're, and I'm not saying that you need all of those <laughs> jobs per se, but those people were really charismatic and you're like, oh, I judged too quickly. I don't know. It just, I thought it was really, I thought in some episodes we're winding down and there's not much more to do. <laughs> I thought it was pretty interesting, and I really love anything that's quirky like that. Yeah, I think it was also kind of, it, it harkens back to what she said at the end, which is like, these people had built their entire lives, their entire family history on some of these very obscure, weird jobs, at, but they served a purpose. And it's like, on the one hand, this reminder, if you if you do like I do, and you read meaning into every single thing, this reminder mm -hmm. that everybody has a purpose. Two, though, the royal family shines in tradition. And in a world in which I feel like we're losing a lot of that tradition, whether it's, you know, here in the U.S., it just like as our own, you know, Southern family traditions are sort of slowly burning out because we're not rural anymore or our people aren't mountain people anymore or we're not farming the land. We're losing some of those traditions that our family grew up with. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just cool to see that that still persists in the U.K., mm -hmm. at least for the royal family. <laughs> right. When you have the money to back it up. Right. The taxpayer money. Right. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Uh, okay. So what were the, and we've already been circling this and I've seen your eyes tear up a little bit already. What was, uh, your biggest tear jerking moments? Yeah. I mean, just like the series of losses that Elizabeth faced kind of back to back to back, uh, again, thinking about our own personal experiences over the last few weeks at some point in life, you just start to get a little battered by them, I'm sure. You can only live so long and be surrounded by the people you love most. Eventually, people start to fade away. But it was really astounding to watch how quickly it all happened and in such like rapid-fire succession. Diana, then her mother, then her sister. And like she, her mother and her sister were clearly the people she trusted most, maybe aside from Philip. I feel like she shared the most with them. And it just was really painful to watch her lose them. They knew the before times. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They knew when the, all their lives could have been different. And, like, I think that kind of kind of had her where they had that understanding of the past and then where things went. And that's a special place that no one else could hold. Yeah. And then, and then they were gone. So, and then they were just gone. And so yeah. quickly, it was just within a matter of months between her mother and her sister. And that just has to be really painful. But the way they played that out, just it it hurt me. It I broke me. Really, I know we're to tear-jerking moments, but I have to say one. I thought that, that the show captured a lot of really small moments. Maybe it was like cutting glances or things that they said or like just different things that were little and you had to really be watching to notice that were these funny moments. But I think my favorite one might have been when Margaret was talking about all the different things that she had to have added to her house to help her out. Oh. And she's like, oh, we have handrails everywhere. Handrails. <laughs> yeah. And the, the mom's like, I don't have handrails on anything. <laughs> and it's just such a perfect mom thing to come in with. <laughs> uh, thanks. That's helpful. 
And just the look that Imelda Staunton gives is pretty amazing. <laughs> Anyways, and we kind of needed, that was another moment yeah. of levity that we just really needed in that episode. Yeah, I think that entire episode, when I think back on this series of episodes, that entire episode, there probably wasn't but two minutes where I wasn't actively crying. From the moment she Elizabeth visits her in the hospital and she says, hello, you, and her sister says, goodbye, you. Oh, my God. That, like, cut me deep. And then every stroke situation that Margaret had was, oh, she must have felt so alone and so scared. Oh, this is sad. I, and so I had said, really, that stood out to me. And that was definitely the ones where I was falling apart. Yeah. You know, first yeah. of all, her acting is so good. Yeah, she did. If She should win all the awards. All Any award she's eligible for, she should win because I believed every and the second one she's of all not of that. Eligible sure, for, yeah. Whatever. And I like every stroke, it was just like gripping and really intense. And they did not pull punches. So no. It was like hard to not get teary during that. Yeah. And then, you know, you were already alluding to this, everything that was happening between the sisters, because this was a sister story. You know, one of the things that I said in our last episode covering those first ep- covering those first episodes was this idea that like the thing that's special about the crown is it's something that we can't possibly understand and it's something that we all understand so that very basic relationship between siblings you know is so not every time but it can be so beautiful right and that was something that i thought they just did such a nice job capturing here I was audibly sobbing during this one. I was like really embarrassed because I was watching it with Casey. And he oh, was no. like, are you okay? And oh, I was no. like, I am not okay. Definitely I was not. like, I don't know what's happening to me. Um, but there are these moments when you see Queen Elizabeth gather herself outside of the hospital room. Like before she comes in there. Mm-hmm. Just that moment is so important, I think. When she looks over at Margaret later on in the episode while she's sleeping. You see this mix of love, of concern, but also knowing, you know, and it's just, it's heartbreaking. And then I also want to say, you said that the speech was your, a top moment for you. That was also a biggest tear jerking Mm -hmm. moment for me because Margaret, at least in the narrative of this show, was her true companion. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Philip. It was her sister. And it was just absolute loveliness. And she had to live like a really long time without her sister. Yes. Which must have been really painful. Yeah. Um, what were the best performances for you? I mean, I think we've already said Leslie Manville playing Princess Margaret. I believed everything she did. I have written here is everything under the sun, moon, and stars. <laughs> I... I can't say enough about, because we didn't really get much from her in season five. Mm -hmm. We didn't get much from her in the first episodes of this season. Little snippets. And, um, you know, I had heard other people talking about her inclusion in the cast. And they're like, certainly something is coming. Because you don't go get Leslie Manville and not do something big. Mm -hmm. And we got it. Yeah. Yeah, she was beautiful. Everything about it was beautiful. I also thought uh, Imelda Staunton, there was more, probably because we had that whole flipping episode about her and her sister, which is the closest to warmth we ever get with her. Um, She did a really beautiful job uh, with her performance through, like I said, that sort of like existential crisis, through the the, um, trauma and the losses 
um, and all at the same time while trying to be the freaking queen. Must have been a really hard time. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed seeing her in these last episodes because I feel like it's the first time we were really seeing her. They just let her cook. Yeah. And, you know, we got to see... I heard some other people talking about this. Like, is she funny? Is Queen Elizabeth funny? I don't know, but Imelda Staunton is. <laughs> and I enjoyed it. And I think it needed it. Yeah. And I think we needed to see some personality. And we don't really know, so why not make it up? You know? I've heard people say Queen Elizabeth was funny. There you go. And then um, I also liked, you know, I people had talked about in season five, like, they she was playing her kind of mean. Right. there was all this Well, intensity. I didn't watch all of season five, but right. I've heard that. <laughs> One day when you catch the full thing, <laughs> there's all this intensity, though, between her and Diana. And so I think a lot of the scenes are about Diana because a lot of season five turns out to be a lot about her. And then, you know, I think it naturally fell that way. But in this one, I think we get to see a nicer version. And that worked better for me. Did you have any other performances that stood out? Mm-mm. The only other one for me is Jonathan Price is Prince Philip. Um, he got a few good moments, especially with Will in the early episodes. Oh, yeah. And kind of like even like just some of the simple stuff, like it's not simple, I would imagine from an actor's perspective of like sitting there and watching the old tapes of him his younger self and Prince Charles and like, <gasps> I forgot about that. Yeah, kind of like you could see like, you know, he didn't want that to happen to another generation of father and son. And so him stepping in the, in the way that he did, we don't know that anything like that ever happened, but it's sure nice to imagine, you know, you know, though, I do remember now that you're bringing that up. I feel like I vaguely remember it. We had that beautiful scene. He stepped in to, like you said, help prevent it from happening. Then, like, the next episode, he was an a-hole to Charles, openly in front of people. So he had no interest in fixing it for himself then? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Life's complicated like that, isn't it? What do you call the ones before boomers? What was his generation? Greatest generation. There you go. They, they really struggle. Not by their name, though. <laughs> <laughs> they probably named themselves. Speaking of the greatest generation, that seems like a good segue to talk about biggest history lesson. Nikki, did you have any history lessons in this one? I feel like all of mine are really superficial. Okay. Uh, so I was curious How if dare you? they really met Diana in the streets with her mother, that whole scene. That didn't really happen. William told ABC she never met her. That just felt like such a weird thing to invent. Because they were trying to make it, oh, it's destiny. That was so, it was so weird. Uh, did Elizabeth, I don't think they were trying to make it, I'm going to, uh, sorry, for one second. I don't think they were trying to make it destiny, though. I think they were trying to make it out like Kate's mom was a uh, society-hungry. Oh, I've got something there, too. <sighs> um... Did Elizabeth and Margaret really go out on the town after World War II ended? Yes. Uh, I found a town and country article where one of the princess's cousins who was with them not, that night said they did the conga at the entrance of the Ritz in Piccadilly Square. Yeah. And then did the queen consider abdicating before Charles married Camilla? This one is unanswerable. There's no real, uh, I mean, no one would know that but the queen. Um, but there's also no evidence that she ever really considered it. So it probably didn't happen, but we don't know for sure. Is it weird that we did the exact same thing? Oh, well, no. Not the same questions. 
But we both like put together a list of unanswerable questions and then tried to answer them. <laughs> no, well, not really. Well, some of yours are very answerable. Sort of our vibe. I, yeah. Um, some of yours were very answerable, but then there's that stuff where we're like, I don't know, we'll put together some context clues and see how it goes. <laughs> what we tend to do, I think. And that's my list. <laughs> so you mentioned Kate's mom and how she was portrayed. And so my question was like, is this real? Like her pushing these two together? And, you know, if you're talking about the show, let's start there. Carol suggests that she go to St. Andrews, go to art school in Florence, that expedition in Chile, which always makes me feel sound... Like such, a, <laughs> such an arts when I say it, but um, all these places where Will went, right? And it sounds like this is something the research team for the show grappled with: how to present this established idea or suggestion that Carol was providing some level of strategy or like prompting, like Kate to go for Will. And we'll link to a Vanity Fair article exploring this topic because. I'm presenting this information through my lens and I would prefer for people to draw their own conclusions. But if you ask me, the interview with the Crown's research team indicates they didn't want to come off like, you got to go in there and get yourself a prince, baby. But that's exactly what it came That's how it felt. Yeah, but that's what they said they were trying to avoid. And I'm like, eh, don't think you landed that plane. Yeah, no, that's definitely what the entire thing felt like. Uh, And I think it's a pretty well-established again, uh, tabloid narrative that Carol was conniving. Um, There's a lot in the press about how her family was not as high status societally as, um, I can't remember his name. (laughs) I almost said Mike, but that's not right. Her husband, uh not James. That's the brother. Anyway, her husband. The fact that you remember the brother's name. (laughs) But she wasn't as established as his family was and sort of married her way up and then like continued to have this aspiration of getting her family higher and higher societally. That's a very established tabloid narrative. I don't know that I've ever seen really great evidence for it except for classist evidence. Like she was a flight attendant. Of course, that's all she wanted was to marry up, which I don't think is super fair and also a little bit sexist. Um, But that is where I feel like Peter Morgan did the right thing by stopping where he did, because I think we would have felt a lot more of that in the more recent years, because that's all we know. We don't have these historical accounts of things. We don't have all of their um, staff and all of their helpers are still under NDA. So we would never actually have firsthand accounts that would be helpful. But that really, really bugged me because I feel like that was very not well established in research. And that's the takeaway. And poor so, Carol. I know. And I'm so sorry because I didn't pull that actor's name, but I really enjoyed her. She had a recurring role in Nurse Jackie. And mm-hmm. I think she's really good. And I, just, and I think she was good in this role. I just think the whole thing came off as creepy. Um, and we just don't know. And it's like one of those things that um, it does, to your point, it feels sexist. It feels classist. And just like, I don't know cheap shots that happen in real life being spun into like, even though the, the, there is reportedly these kit gloves that were worn to like help. Didn't help. Michael was her father's name. Ah, uh, Kate's father's you name. You said Mike, didn't you? I did. I, yeah. 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 Woo. Woo. We're on fire. It's, it's back here somewhere. <laughs> well, you knew the brother's name. I'm, <laughs> You know the amount of information I can't remember on a daily basis, but I remember Michael Middleton's name. There you go. 
So my other question was, did the queen like Tony Blair? Mm. And so I found an Esquire article, and this was following her death in 2022. The Sunday Times claimed a senior French diplomat once asked her who her favorite prime minister was. That's not the right question, she reportedly said. What you should ask me is who is my least favorite. And then revealed the answer was Tony Blair. <laughs> of course, that's all like, that's like one one news article quoting another news article for a private conversation that we'll never know about. Hence why we have unanswerable questions here. Hilarious. And then, did you know what Ruritania was? No. Okay, so that was bothering me. <laughs> Here <laughs> was bothering everyone else too, but I was like, "What the heck is that?" Um, so, Merriam-Webster dictionary defines it as of relating to or having the characteristics of an imaginary place of high romance. So that kind of makes sense given uh, the crown, <laughs> but except like it's not, it's not imaginary. Whatever. According to TV tropes, well, the mythics, the mythicism of it, and the like. This is what the show pulled back for us is that it's not that dissimilar from other families. There's just a veil over it, so you don't see it all. It's true. So, according to TV Tropes, the name comes from Anthony Hope's 1894 novel, which I know you have sitting by your bedside. Read it yesterday. The Prisoner of Zinda, at least partially inspired by the Austro-Hungarian Empire, your favorite empire, which was regarded by Western Europeans as an incompetent backwater. Since that time, Ruritania has become a generic name, for any archetypical fictional country located in Central Europe or the Balkans, and it's characterized by things like its small size and backward or quirky customs. So this trope has been changed over the years, and I will spare you walking through all of those iterations, but there was one piece about the royals of Ruritania that stood out to me. And um, that would be the royals were still around, if a bit less powerful and wealthy than before. Their robes a bit threadbare, but are now being schemed against. So taking this along with the characterizations of a backward or quirky custom seems to track with not only what we're learning in the episode, but this larger push-pull of progressivism versus traditionalism that's playing out through Blair's new labor versus the Queen's monarchy, you know, that we see throughout the course of the episode. So this is just a guess, of course, only Peter Morgan and others involved in the show know for sure. I never found anything that, like, said, like, absolutely, that's what we meant by Ruritania. Good job. Um, so, finally, I did look into some of the jobs from episode six because I was like, Good. what are all of these things? We can just link to an article unless there were any of them that were bothering you. <laughs> no. I got the royal swan keeper. I got that one for sure. Are you sure? Yeah, they did do a pretty the good The bagpiper. I couldn't even, I didn't even know what they were saying for some, some of them. <laughs> and those are all just like the people who, um, they're like heralds, essentially. So if you watch like Sleeping Beauty and you have like funny looking, but not looking, funnily dressed <laughs> people like walk in front of like the king and they're like playing a trumpet. They're like, do, 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 do. that's like these different heralds and stuff. But I do have to say that I really, I did like the yeoman of the glass of China pantry. <laughs> the, oh, uh-huh. Yeah, this is the one who, their, one of their tasks is laying um, all of the, uh, excuse me, like they put out all the napkins for the 175 foot long dining table. And it also involves laying more than a thousand glasses. 
It takes like two days for them to do this. That's crazy. I'm like, I like set a table and I'm like, enough. Yeah. And I probably get things wrong. I've been looking at my, uh, my table. I took all the Christmas decorations off. It looks really barren. And I have the napkins sitting there, but I can't bring myself to iron them and do anything with them. So they just continue to sit there. I'm like, all my Christmas decorations are still up. So that's where I am this year. Um, thinking about taking them down tomorrow? Maybe not. Who knows? Um, so Kyle took them all down for us while I was on the road back and forth. That's for what very it's worth. kind. Yeah, that's very kind. There's also people who were like, it was like the 25th and all their decorations were down. I was like, how? Oh, yeah. I'm a January, by January 1st person. I do it pretty quickly. Typically I, can't stand I am. It. This year is weird, though, the way it in addition to everything else that's happening, like the way it fell. Yeah. Being on, on a Monday, Monday just makes it kind of. If it happens on like a Thursday or a Friday, then you have that weekend after to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So days. <laughs> I need the, what did you call him? The Yaman of uh, cutlery. Glass and China pantry. I need that guy. Just, just pop on by. Can you imagine how quickly he would do our tables? He'd do it and be just done. And then pop, pop. he would judge the state of my silverware. Maybe he'd clean it. But. Yeah. Probably be judging a lot of things That's comparatively true. for both of us, but what are you oh, going to well. do? Uh, so we'll link to an article where if you really just need to know who the Queen's herb strewer is, doesn't really exist anymore, then you can take a look for yourself. So did you feel like it was a satisfying ending? You know, I did. And like I said earlier, I understand why Peter Morgan was hesitant to go fu- any future any future in time, any further in the future in time, whatever that sentence is. <laughs> I get it. Uh, and I liked that we ended with a bit of mystery on where the queen's mind was that last decade or so of her mm-hmm. life, a little more than a decade. Um, I like the ambiguity of it while also tying all the loose ends of the life that we had watched play out. Right. I thought it was, I thought it was satisfying. Right. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't want to watch the Prince Andrew story. Um, so I think the season as a whole was a little touch and go, but I do feel satisfied as well with where it ended. And, you know, as soon as it went back to its roots and there was more focus on the queen, and honestly, that's what I was there for. I think, mm. I think we were in a better position, at least yeah. for me as a viewer. Yeah. And then now that we have all of these seasons under our belts, except for the back half of season five, <laughs> which <laughs> one day will be Nikki's favorite back half of a season. Uh, it probably will be. I don't change all my answers. <laughs> Where did this final season rank for you? You know, I think that, um, I think it's good. I think what, what happens with other seasons of this show happened with this one, which is there are chunks of every single season that if I could just skip entirely, I would be happy. The whole will they, won't they with Kate, like could totally skip that. But that episode with Margaret, the birthday party, the strokes, the Ritz, all that, I'd watch that again. I'd probably watch some of the Diana stuff again, minus that last little bit, unless I'm feeling the need to be like trauma tormented. Um, but I'd watch pieces of it. I think it was one of my more favorite seasons. I don't know that I would say it was like my favorite season, but I'm glad that it's finished and I'm glad that it ended the way it did. Like it wasn't, I didn't, Game of Thrones, you brought up earlier. I watched that thing till the bitter end and I was so mad about the end of that show. I don't feel that way about this one. It was fine. It was a fine conclusion. I think there could have been some tightening up, but I think this entire show, there are parts where it could have been tightened up in my opinion. So. Yeah, I think it's tough, right? Because, like, I went back and I watched Game of Thrones and watched the end. And I liked it more than I did the first time. Mm. I'm not saying I think they did a good job. 
I'm just saying maybe it wasn't quite the car crash that everybody made it out to be. Maybe it was just a letdown after everything that was so crisp and so good in the beginning. Yeah. And I think you were a different person back then and you were living through it differently back then. So it hit, I think, you want to know what I think? Hot take. I think the person who watched through the entire thing in real time deserves the most satisfying conclusion, not the person (laughs) who comes back a decade later and watches it. You had to live through it to know it. Yeah. So for me on this one, I am curious, like, I'll, I'll watch it again at some point. And, and I will, t- you know, and I went back and I watched all the other seasons. And so now I feel like I can very confidently say that for me right now, seasons five and six are at the bottom for me. Oh, well, but, but you're ranking them. So something has to go in the final two spots. I still really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I truly think there were, as you did, series high episodes, mm-hmm. series high performances, eight is one of the best episodes of the entire series for me. One of the best episodes. Yeah, I agree with that. So you can't be mad about that. And again, like I'm saying in the bottom two slots, because I'm asking for a ranking, I still like them. They're still good. It's still good television. Good television we may not be getting because we're in a post-strike environment here, you know? Um, So we've got to be thankful. we got to (laughs) clutch these to our hearts. (laughs) And then... Not me. Screw him. <laughs> I'm thinking about Dexter all over again and what a like, disappointing ending that was, too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Not feeling very grateful right now. <laughs> but you can go back and you can watch the beginning of Dexter and you can be grateful. I guess that means you didn't watch the reboot, huh? <laughs> it's actually pretty good. Mm-mm. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for this very special episode where we also talked about things like Dexter, Game of Thrones. <laughs> surprise we hope you enjoyed our coverage of the crown and let us know if there are other shows you'd like us like to hear us cover who knows what the future may hold you know the drill dm us email us or contact us from the website and find us all over the socials and that's this week's extra sugar